Hallelujah. His presence is certainly here. Thank you, God. I think my favorite services are when we break out of the routine. Sometimes you just got to change your approach and get out of your rut. Amen. David was going to war and he went to the Lord. He said, Lord, should we go up the way we always do? And God said, no, don't go that way this time. Go a different way. And he said, when you hear the sound of going in the mulberry trees, then you know that God's given you the victory. And sometimes you just got to change your pattern a little bit. And that's what we've done. I want you to lift your hands to heaven. Amen. I feel like this service tonight is an invitation by God to us. If you are in this room tonight, you are being invited by God to go to a deeper place in Him. There's an open door. There's an open door for your life, for your relationship with God, for your walk with God. And there is a bidding of the Spirit in this place. From God, an invitation. And you may have thought that God wants nothing to do with you. You may think that maybe for whatever reason that it's not for you. But I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said everybody in this place has an opportunity to go deeper in God tonight. And everybody means everybody. You say, well, you don't understand all the stuff I've done and what I've been through and all my scars and all my failures. I don't have to understand it. When God says everybody, God means everybody. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. There's an invitation for everybody. Go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 62. I know we haven't made announcements. I know we haven't taken an offering. So don't, don't leave because we need you to know what's going on and we need you to give an offering. If I didn't feel like I'd heard from God for this service, I'd have told Brother Carson to sing again and we'd have gone house, but I know God has a purpose here. The book of Isaiah, chapter number 62, even though I know God has a purpose, he does it decently and in order, so I'm starting my timer. Isaiah 62 and 6, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never Hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, 
Keep not silence. And give him no rest. Till he establisheth and till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. In verse number six, Isaiah is talking to the watchman, the preacher, if you will. He says, don't ever hold your peace. Don't ever stop preaching. You that make mention of the Lord, don't keep silent. He's talking to the preacher. And then he says, and give him, give God no rest until he establisheth, until he make Jerusalem a place in the earth. I want to preach for a while tonight. Give him no rest. God bless you. You can be seated. The prophet Isaiah was a firebrand. Isaiah was not known for beating around the bush and being nice. He was constantly applying spiritual pressure to Israel. Isaiah was not afraid to confront their spiritual condition. Through Isaiah, the Lord repeatedly exposed Israel's sin of idolatry. He chastised them for making covenants with heathens in hopes of keeping themselves safe from attack. The people of God had turned their backs on him and alienated themselves from his presence. When you begin to turn away from God, it's difficult to feel comfortable in his presence. You alienate yourself from God. You feel tension in the relationship. You become uncomfortable in worship and uncomfortable in preaching and uncomfortable in atmospheres like we had tonight. That tension that is applied to the relationship is not caused by God's distance, but it's caused by our distance. Isaiah was hard on Israel. There is no doubt about that. Because he understood their promise and their destiny better than anyone. His, in the prophecies of Isaiah, we are provided with the most comprehensive prophetic picture of Jesus Christ in the entire Old Testament. At various times, Isaiah writes about the full scope of the life of Jesus Christ. He wrote about the announcement of his coming. He wrote about his virgin birth. He wrote about how he would proclaim the gospel. He wrote about how his death would purchase salvation and healing. And ultimately, he wrote about Christ's return to claim his church. Isaiah had the clearest picture of the Messiah and of salvation of any of the Old Testament prophets. 
Therefore, Isaiah also understood the power that Israel had within her. He understood their destiny as well as anyone besides possibly Abraham. He understood their future. He knew the role of Israel in the salvation of the world because Isaiah saw the coming Messiah, because he saw the Savior, because he saw that he would be wounded for our transgression. Isaiah also felt a responsibility to preserve Israel so that the Messiah could come through her. He was not shy about pushing them to go forward in God. If you will, Isaiah was God's drill sergeant, pushing them because he knew that within Israel there was a coming Savior who would save the world, but for their destiny to happen, they had to resist the devil and resist the world and resist the sway of the cultures surrounding them. It was not about punishing Israel. It was not about belittling Israel. It was about preserving Israel long enough for Christ to come and for their promise to happen. It was never punitive. It was never a punishment. It was never a rebuke for a rebuke's sake. It was always a rebuke for the purpose of reminding them You've got greatness inside of you. And you need to preserve that promise that God has given you. Can I take a little bit of a pause right now? And can I tell everyone, again, everyone in this place, regardless of who you are, what you've done, what your life has been like, I tell you on the authority of the Spirit of God that you've got greatness inside of you. There is a great thing of God inside of you. And so tonight I am pushing you to preserve that promise that God has in your life. Here's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 62 and 1. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. I know you want me to be quiet. And I know you want me to ease up on you. Zion, I know you're tired of hearing me preach to you. And Jerusalem, I know you're weary of me pressing you. But until righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth, until you begin to realize your destiny, I will not hold my peace for Zion's sake. I've got to keep preaching. And for Jerusalem's sake, I cannot rest. Isaiah said, I know you get tired of my preaching. I know you get tired of me telling you what I hear from God. But for your sake, I just can't stop. I I understand your destiny. And I understand what God has put in you. Isaiah said, I know what God spoke to Abraham, and I know what he passed on to Isaac and Jacob, and I know why he sent Samson, and I know why there was an Elisha, 
and Elijah and a David. And because of all that destiny that's inside of you, I cannot hold my peace and I cannot rest until that brightness. He said, I can't stop till that destiny comes out of you. He understood the prophecies. He understood the role of Zion in the future. Sister Ashley, I know you mentioned it, but, but I, I didn't realize it until early this morning that I was preaching part two of what I started last week. I didn't even really realize it until I got into it. He understood the prophecies. He understood the role of Zion in the future. He knew that on Zion's hill, somewhere along the line, somebody was going to build a building, and that building was going to have a second floor on it. And that second floor was going to be called the upper room. And he knew that in that upper room, something was going to happen that was going to fundamentally change the world. And it was the outpouring of the Spirit of God. He knew that on Zion, he actually said it, that when you get there, there's going to be a stammering lip and another tongue. And God's going to pour his Spirit. He knew that was in Israel. He knew that was in their destiny. He knew that was inside of them. And he said, for Zion's sake, I can't quit preaching. I can't hold my peace. I don't know exactly how Isaiah may have visualized it. I don't know if he saw 120 in that upper room on Mount Zion. But all I know is that he said, out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. And he said, out of Zion. He said there's going to be stammering lips and another tongue. He looked ahead and he knew that revival and salvation was going to come through these people. But these people had to preserve that promise long enough for it to come. If they followed after other gods, if they left the Lord as their Savior, if they walked away from the Word of God, then that destiny could not come. So he's constantly pushing them. Amen. He was pushing God's people because because the Gentiles needed to see the glory of God. Look at verse number 2, Isaiah 62 and 2. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness. And the Gentiles shall, shall see thy righteousness. And all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. He said, listen, this is not just about you, Zion. This is not just about you, Israel. This is not just about you, Jerusalem. But the eyes of the entire world need to see how you live. Am I right? Can you throw that verse back up? The Bible said, the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, your lifestyle, the way you worship, the way you pray, the way you live, the way you serve God, the way you worship God, the way you love God. The world is going to see how you worship God and the kings of the world are going to see what I do in response when I pour my glory out on how you live. Then God, all the kings of the world are going to see it and you're going to hear a new name. The mouth of the Lord is going to name it. And when there was a child being born, being expected out of the womb of a virgin named Mary, God said, you're going to call his name Jesus. And thank God he gave us a name that's above every name. Woo, somebody ought to praise God. Amen. Get your second wind for me. 
Let me, let me push you a little. So Isaiah is pushing them because he understands all the things. The whole world is depending on Israel. The world was depending on Zion to serve God and love God and preserve that promise that was inside of them. Can I tell you the world needs to see a church at its best, not a compromised, worldly, prayerless, dead, dry barely getting by church. This world deserves to see a church that's walking in holiness and walking in worship and walking in prayer. Can I tell you, this is not just about me and you. It's not just about Zion. It's not just about me and Sarah and Ellie and Kate. This is about a world out there that needs to see a church that's on fire with the Holy Ghost. Oh, come on, warm up your amens right now. I know the world, look, there's, the, the world may not understand the kind of prayer meeting we just had. They might, it might it blows protocol out of the water. It, we don't have every word of every service completely planned out. It blows tradition out of the water. But I'm going to tell you that I doubt there's a person in this place that at some point didn't know. I don't understand it, but somebody is getting something from God here. The world, the Gentiles need to see it in the church. Can I ask you this? Don't ever be ashamed when you come in the house of God to worship and to praise God and to let God have his way. Don't you ever be worried. Don't you ever be embarrassed of your hand clap and your shout and your tongue talking because the world may not understand it, but they need it. The Gentiles shall see. We, they, the world deserves to see a church on fire. So it's not just about us. It's not just about Zion. It's about the world needs what's happening in this place. The Gentiles need to see Zion with Pentecost. Not Zion pre-Pentecost. Zion pre-Pentecost is just a two-story house. Zion pre-Pentecost is just a, a little hill with a two-story house on it. But Zion after Pentecost is the beating heart of the Christian church. The world does not need to see an empty, dead, dried-up church. This church without the Holy Ghost is just a building. This church without a move of God is just wood, carpet, and sheetrock. This church without an outpouring of the Holy Ghost is nothing. Can I tell you what you are? Without the Holy Ghost, you're just another citizen. But with the Holy Ghost, you are a firebrand sent straight from heaven. God, this is not just about me. It's about the world needs to see it on. Let me tell you, the world's sick of church. The world is sick of dead denominationalism. Amen. Let, let me, let me, I, let, I'll get to it. I'll get to that in a second. I, I got, almost got ahead of myself. Let me tell you this. And I hope you're listening intently to everything I'm saying tonight. I feel like you are. But God wants to bless Zion as an example of his power and his goodness and his blessing. Listen to what he says. Let's go back to verse 2, and then we'll come to verse 3. I'm, I'm, I'm shifting everything up. Let's go back to verse 2, if you don't mind. Let's go back to verse 2, if you do mind. 
and the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Next verse. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. He said, here's what God wants to do to show the world, to show the Gentiles, and to show the kings of the world. God wants to bless you to where you're like a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. I want to tell somebody tonight that God wants to do something in your life that will cause the whole world to see his hand and glory on you. Hallelujah. Let me say it again to anybody that wants to be blessed. Let me say it again to anybody that doubts what God wants to do. God wants to bless you in such a way that when the world looks at you, they say, I want their God. I want what they've got. I want to have what they have. I want to experience what they experience. God wants to... Man, if I needed a blessing, I think I'd wave my hand right now because this is a promise to somebody. This is a promise to you. You may be struggling right now. You may be struggling to make ends meet. You may be struggling to get by. You may be struggling to keep your sanity. But I've come to preach to you tonight that God wants to make you an example of his glory. God, if they don't want it, send it. If they don't want it, send it right here. If other churches don't want it, Bethlehem wants it. If other churches are satisfied, dead, dry, and plucked up, God, send it here. Send the drug addict. Send the prostitute. Send the stripper. God, send people that are broken. Send people that are lonely. Send people that are confused. Send people. God, send. If other people don't want them, we want them. We want an We want you to show what the God, what the world can expect in a church full of glory. I don't apologize for preaching this. I don't think I'm preaching it out of pride. I don't think I'm preaching it because it's, because I'm the pastor here, and it's, I'm preaching it because it's the word of God that God wants to do something in you that will shake this community. Amen. God wants to bless you in such a way. When I say blessing, I'm not only talking about finances. I'm not only talking about money. But when I say blessing, I'm not excluding finances and blessing either. Because God wants to bless you to fund what God wants to do. You be faithful to God. You tithe. You serve God. And you watch as God begins to open doors. Amen. I feel a little preacher coming on me right now. Amen. A little over a year ago, I started a Bible study with the guy. He said, Pastor, I need to know about more about God. I need to look. So we started a Bible study. And he's gotten raise after raise, thousands of dollars of raises, new jobs since we started a Bible study. He had been here for years. He had been here for years and stagnated. But the moment we started that Bible study, God started opening heaven. And then when God got through blessing him, his wife just got thousands of dollars of raises. I'm just telling you that when you give yourself to God, God wants to bless his people. You won't get it if you don't believe it. You won't get it if you don't expect it. And you won't get it if you don't invest in it. 
God wants to do it. God wants to do it. God wants to do it. He said, you're going to get, he said, when people look at you, they're going to see my glory. You see, this world, I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody, but this world has a distorted idea of the church. The idea the world has of the church is reinforced by denominationalism and dead Christianity. If I was the world, I wouldn't want a dead, dry, boring church either. I wouldn't want to sit on a bar stool by somebody on Saturday night and hear him tell me how I'm supposed to live on Sunday morning. The world is looking at mainline denominations and seeing that they're closing their churches left and right. Their grand old buildings are in ruins, being turned into hotels and bars and beauty salons and workout centers are being torn down. Modern media have called this the post-Christian era. But I want to tell modern media and culture and society something, that if that's your idea of the church, you're looking at the wrong place because the, this church, the true church, is an anointed church and a powerful church and a Holy Ghost-filled church, and a life-changing church. Amen. God, help me. I feel, I feel a preacher coming on me right now. One of my good, one of my best friends is a deacon in a denominational church, and he told me one time, he told me, sitting at a restaurant, having breakfast, he said, John, he said, I'm going to tell you why God's blessing your church. He said, because your church is reaching for people that my church thinks they're too good for. He said, you're welcoming people into your church that my church is trying to keep out. What I'm saying is if that's your idea of Christianity, you're looking in the wrong place. This place is a hospital. It's not a museum. It's not a museum. It's an emergency room. It's an ICU for wounded souls. And God help us if we ever get to the place where we don't want them. God wants to do something in people's lives. You got to raise your hands and believe it. God, I'm telling you, I, you sometimes you got to receive what's being preached. I'm telling you, God wants to bless you in such a way that when the world looks at you, they say, I want what you've got. Those of you that have come out of addiction, God wants to bless you in a way that when the addict looks at you and says, if he can do it for them, he can do it for me. I used to smoke meth with him. I used to smoke dope with him. But now look what God's doing. And they want to, God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. You ought to wave your hand and say, God didn't do it. I'm here. Can I, can I press the issue just a little bit more? If you really want a blessing, you've got to push some stuff out of your life. Amen. Don't say God bless me and then keep smoking and puffing and everything else. You got to start. You got to you might struggle but you got to make a commitment to get that stuff out if you're serious about being a crown of glory. Oh, I lost somebody there, but I'm still preaching it. If you're really serious about being what God wants you to be, then you'll start pushing your way through stuff. When Zion aligned with God's purpose and God's word, something powerful began to happen. Here's what he said in verse number four. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken. 
I know there's nobody in here that, that people in the world looked at and said there's no hope for them. I know we don't have anybody here like that. I know we don't have anybody in this church that used to be so messed up that when people looked at you, they said, a forsaken, no hope. They'll never get it right. They'll never get back. I'm going to tell you right now, these pews are full of people that other people gave up on. Thou shalt no, be, no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land be any more termed desolate. Man, I'm getting excited about the blessings of God here. Amen. It doesn't matter how hopeless people think you are. When God gets to moving in your life, there's no such thing as forsaken and there's no such thing as broken too far. There's no such thing as too messed up. God is a master of restoration. Man, I feel something coming on me tonight. I'm trying to pump somebody's heart full of faith. You can do it. You can live for God. You can make it. You can do You can be something for God. The whole world called them forsaken. The whole world said their land was desolate. But when God began to move, when they aligned with their destiny and their purpose under the preaching of Isaiah, something began to happen. He said, you won't be called forsaken. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken. You notice, you notice here that the word forsaken, forsaken is generally not a proper name. And so it's, it should not, if, not if, if, if it's just a regular old word, it should, not, it should not be capitalized. They were so far gone that the world changed their name. They didn't call them Israel and Zion anymore. They called them forsaken and desolate. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing for your life to be so messed up that you became known for what the devil did in your life instead of what your mom and dad named you? Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be terrible if, you had, if, 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 the, if the world saw you as so messed up that, oh, there's, there's that loser. There's that dopehead. There's that drunk. There's that adulterer. There's that fornicator. There's that dealer. There's that fornicator. There's that homosexual. There's that alcoholic. Oh, you're not talking back now. Did I go too far for you? It's one thing when the world looks at you and they identify you by what messed you up and what's going wrong, but God said they're not going to do that anymore. They might have called you that in the past, but that's not what you're going to be known for. Let me tell somebody, you're not going to be known for your weakness and your sin and your failure forever. You're not going to be remembered for your worst day. You're not going to be remembered for the worst minute and moment and years of your life. God said, that's not who you are anymore. I rebuke the condemnation of the devil that tells you you'll always be an addict. You'll always be a drunk. You'll always be a failure. You'll never get it right. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I speak the word of God that you will not be named forsaken and desolate. Somebody's about to get a name change tonight. Somebody's about to get an identity transfer. Woo, I feel. Yeah, yeah. You walked in as one thing, but you're walking out with a new name. Oh, 
God help me. Man, I don't know if you feel it down there, but my legs are tingling up here. I feel the power of God in this place. I've come to confront a devil that tells you you'll never amount to anything. He's a liar and the father of it. You better shut up, devil. I've come to confront a spirit that tells you you'll never make it. You'll never be good enough. You'll never measure up. It'll be just a... I hear the devil right now whispering in somebody's ear. It's just a matter of time and you'll be using again. I hear the devil saying it right now. Oh, go ahead and shout tonight, but in just a few days, I'll have you right back. Shut up, devil. You don't have no right here. I rebuke you. You're not going to be forsaken and desolate anymore. You're going to have an identity change. You're going to have an identity change. Woo, Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, God, I feel a breakthrough for somebody in this place. You are not what the devil says you are. The devil's labels, the devil's labels, the devil's names, they don't stick. Some of you feel like you're trying to outrun your own ghost. You quit running tonight and you step on you. You stand firm and say, in the name of Jesus, I am not forsaken or dead. That's not, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. Devil, you're a liar. Listen to this. Thou, thou shalt no more. Everybody say no more. Be termed forsaken. Thou shalt and neither shall thy land anymore. Everybody say, anymore. Be termed desolate. It ends right now. You hear me? It ends tonight. It's done, devil. We're through with you and your games. We're through with your name calling. We're through with you typecasting me. I'm tired of you telling me who I am and who I can be. I'm tired of you dictating my, my self-esteem. And I'm tired of you dictating my condemnation. And I rebuke it in Jesus' name. It's over tonight. I'm done. I'm done with you. I've dated you long enough. Now you're out of my life. But thou, but thou shalt be called. The Lord's going to have to help me on this name here. Hepzibah. Hepzibah. There's a dash in there. Hepzibah. You know what? You know, you know who Hepzibah was? That was the name of King Hezekiah's wife. God said, you are not what the world tells you you are. You are royalty. <laughs> the word Hezekiah, it was the name of Hezekiah's wife. It was the name of the queen. And her name mean, my, means my delight is in her. He said, the world has called you forsaken and desolate, but in my eyes, you are my queen. <laughs> and I delight in you. Let me tell you, God's not as angry with you as you think he is. God's not waiting to pounce on you and destroy you. God says, my delight is in you. I want nothing better than to bless you and lift you up and rebuild your life. I, God says, my, you're, like, you're, you're my queen and I delighted in you. And he said, not only that, not only that, he said, but he, he, your name is going to be Hephzibah. Hephzibah, whatever it means, my delight is in her. You're the queen. 
you're royalty. You're not just you're not just a nobody. You are royalty. The king has chosen you. The world may have rejected you, but the king has chosen you and said, I delight in you. Who has the right to tell the king that you don't belong? When the king picked you up out of sin, then that's his business. If he brought you here tonight, he brought you here for a reason. Let the king, let the king do his work. <coughs> he said, not only am I going to change your name, but not, I'm going to change your outcome too. Thy land, everybody say my land. And thy land, Beulah. The word Beulah means to have dominion. Oh, Jesus. He said, I'm going to make you royal, and I'm going to give you dominion, for the Lord delighteth in thee. And thy land shall be married. Married to the Lord. And who has the guts to steal from God? When the enemy tries to take your blessing, you say, you better back up, devil. I'm married to the king. You better get up out of here. I'm not who you say I am. I'm not what you said I was. I have royal blood, and now I have dominion, so you better back up out of my stuff because the Lord, you need to say it right now, the Lord delights in me. I want everybody in this place to say it. The Lord delights in me. Come on, say it. I don't care if you believe it or not. The Lord delights in me. And thy land shall be married. Everything I have is in his hands now. Oh, Jesus, man. Oh, glory. I changed everything. But, but here's what you got to understand. That when Isaiah wrote this, they were still a mess. When he wrote every one of the promises I just preached to you, they were still bound in idolatry. They were still in sin. They were still away. But there was a man of God that looked at them in their low state and said, I believe there's destiny inside of you. Oh, God. Man, I thought that was where you'd always. By the time this prophecy came, none of that had happened yet. They were still considered forsaken and desolate. Their promises had not come to pass. Their visions had not been fulfilled. Their hopes and dreams had not come to fruition. Isaiah saw Israel's potential through their mess. And he knew that they needed revival. Wickedness and apostasy were rampant. Isaiah marveled at their apathy accompanying their sin like they didn't even care that they were in sin. They, were, they knew they were spiritually sick, but they wouldn't do anything about it. He described them as covered with wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores. He condemned them for being proud and greedy and dishonest and rejecting the prophets. But he looked through all that and said, wait a second. I know what my natural eyes tell me, but my spiritual eyes... See, royalty. Hmm. And every time he would close his eyes and begin to pray, and the spirit of prophecy would come on him, he would begin to write about a Messiah that was going to come out of these putrefying people. And every time 
he looks at them and they're so broken and so wounded and so dirty and so desolate and so forsaken. But every time God starts to speak to him, he sees them as the womb of a Messiah with destiny and promise inside of him. He saw through all that mess and saw the potential that God had put inside of them. Let me tell you, you better surround yourself with people who see good in you when there's no evidence of it. You better surround yourself by somebody that'll preach to you like you're a queen when you're living in absolute filth. You better, you better, you better thank God that there's a church that says, come on, just how you are. We know right now the condition you're in. But what we see is royalty with dominion inside of you just waiting to be birthed. I'm trying to tell somebody in this place, you are not always going to be what the devil tells you you're going to be. But none of, none of those promises, none of those prophecies have come to pass. None of that has happened. So let's go to the next, the next verse, verse 6, Isaiah 62 and 6. He said, because, because of all this promise inside of you and because of all the destiny that's in you, I put a watchman on the wall, which shall never hold their peace day or night or keep silent. Because of the destiny, I sent you a preacher to keep telling you, you can make it. You can do it. You can do it. God's got you. You can get through this. You can overcome. You can have victory. You can be used of God. He said, I put a watchman on the wall to stand there and keep telling you. I know you get tired of hearing Isaiah preach, and I know you get tired of hearing him talk, and I know you get tired of the sermons, but I put him there, and I told him, don't you ever stop preaching to these people that they've got greatness inside of them, that Zion has promised that someday. That someday on Zion's hill, the Holy Ghost is going to come down out of heaven with a rushing mighty wind. You keep preaching it to them because it's in them. I'll tell you, there's nothing more frustrating than preaching to people that have greatness in them that won't receive the word. But I feel like somebody's getting it tonight. He says, you, you, I put a watchman on the wall. Don't you ever hold your peace day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. Don't stop. Don't stop telling them. Don't stop telling them. Don't stop preaching to Zion in Jerusalem. Keep preaching. Keep telling them. Keep telling them. Keep telling them they've got royal blood in them. Keep telling them they've got a future and a hope. Keep telling them that there's revival in them. Keep preaching to them. No matter how bad it looks and how hopeless it feels, keep telling them. And then he looks and he says, and give him no rest. Keep telling God, too. Don't just tell the people, tell God. Don't just preach to the people, but you go to God. And you dig and give him no rest till he establisheth, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Don't let God forget his promise. Don't let him rest. It is an invitation from the word of God to the church that until he establishes Israel and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth, 
that the church has an invitation to reach for her destiny. Give him no rest. There's a call of God on us to not give him rest. One of my dreams for this church is that we'd have somebody in this building 24 hours a day, seven days a week, always praying, always reminding God. We would have people fasting every day of the week for revival, for restoration, giving God no rest. There is nothing as powerful as a praying church. When the church learns that she is called to give God no rest, Destiny begins to emerge like a ship coming out of the fog. We need revival on our mind and prayers on our lips. Did I, am I, are, do we got just a few more minutes? Because I got a few more things to say. The prophet reiterated a point that he had made 19 chapters earlier in Isaiah 43 and 26. God said, put me in remembrance. Keep reminding me of everything I told you. Make me remember your destiny. Keep bugging me about what you need me to do. Put me in remembrance. I'm putting the responsibility on you, Israel, that if you really want to see your future come together, then you remind me on a regular basis. Put me in remembrance. And then he says, let us plead together. He said, He said, all I'm asking you to do is join with me in what I'm already at work on. Let us plead together. Isaiah 45 and 11, thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons. Notice this last, and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. God said, if you want my hands to do something, tell me what you want my hands to do. The hand that stretched the universe. Scientists say the universe is 56 sextillion miles wide. That's a 56 with 21 zeros after it. But the Bible says that God measured it with the span of his hand. The whole universe, go out, look at the sky. I hope it's a clear night and you can see stars from everywhere. And go out and when you see the vast expanse, just understand God measured it with the span of his hand. Everybody say hand. But the Bible says concerning the work of my hands. If the universe is a hand. I mean, that's as bad a bad as dad joke as you can possibly come up with, right? You know it. He said, the hand that measures the universe, he said, you tell me what you want my hand involved in. Concerning the work of my hand, he said, just tell me. That's all I want you to do, just tell me. Tell me what you need from me. Tell me what you want from me. 
Can I go a little bit further? Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Isaiah 66 and 8. I'm sorry, I didn't even, I don't think I told you that. Who hath heard such a thing? He said, man, who's ever heard of anything like this? It goes beyond anything I've ever heard. And who's ever seen such a thing? He said, beyond anything you've ever heard or seen, shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? He said, you're telling me that everything can change in one day? Who's ever seen anything like that? I've never heard of everything. Everything can change. Everything can change in my life in one day. Who's ever heard or seen anything like that? Shall a nation be born at once? A nation can't be born at once. There has to be a relationship with a mother and father. There has to be nine months of growing in the womb. There has to be travail. There has to be, it, it, takes, it takes 40, what is it, 41 weeks? I've never had a baby, so I don't know, 40, 41, whatever, somewhere in there. I've been expecting for a while, but I'm not having it. He said, can, just, can, can, can a baby be born at once? No, a baby can't be born at once. The only way that a baby can be born at once is if it's already in the womb. So again, I tell you that the greatness is inside of you. The revival is inside of you. The breakthrough is inside of you. And as soon, everybody say as soon. For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. The child was always waiting on Zion to travail. Folks, there's an invitation from God on this church that anything that we desire in terms of revival and harvest, God wants to do. It's here. It's in us. It's available. But God says, don't let me rest. Put me in remembrance and command ye me. You got to keep telling me over and over what you want. I put the power of revival in the hands of my church. I'm doing sermon surgery. One more passage, Acts chapter number 12. Can, can I just, can I impose on you for just a few more minutes? Acts chapter number 12, James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, the leader of the apostles, had been killed. James was the decision maker. He was the administrator. When they had the problem about the, about the dispute over, over, uh, over the Jewish law, when they all argued, everybody, the Bible said there was no small disputation. They argued back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then, and then at the end, James said, this is my decision. He was the one that God had given the authority to make the decision. He was the leader. Herod killed him. And then he went after Peter. Peter was, was the aggression of the church. He was revival. Everywhere he went, something happened. He walked by people and the shadow would fall on sick people. They'd get healed. Everywhere Peter went, there was this move of the spirit. He was this aggressive revival force. That through him, his, 
through the force of his will and the Holy Ghost and his anointing, God began to send revival all over. Peter, they knew. He was the one with the keys of the kingdom. He was the one that preached at Pentecost. But now, Herod has him in prison. Acts 12 and 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. There is almost nothing as powerful as a praying church. People who know how to pray are some of God's greatest resources. People who know how to pray are some of the greatest assets in all of God's kingdom. But I want you to, did anybody notice the qualifiers that I just used? Almost, some of. Because there is a level above a praying church. There's something beyond knowing how to pray. And that is perseverance in prayer. The Bible didn't just say that prayer was made. The Bible said prayer was made without ceasing. Any church can stir itself up to pray for a season. But a church that learns how to pray consistently without ceasing is the most powerful tool in the arsenal of God. The devil can ride out the storm of a church that prays, but the devil can't ride out the, the, the storm of a, of a church that prays without ceasing. I feel something holy in this place tonight. There's nothing like a church that won't quit praying. So let's go just a couple more verses. Prayer produces results. Prayer was made of the church without ceasing. Look at verse 7. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. Let me tell you, a praying church will send angels in places that they can't go themselves. The angel of the Lord came unto him, a light shined in the prison. He smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off from his hand. Everybody say, his chains fell off. Verse number 10, and when they were past the first and second ward, everybody say the two doors opened. They came into the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. The gate opened. They didn't have to touch it. They didn't turn the knob. They walked up to it. They went out. He went out into the city. Prayer opened the gate of the second ward. Prayer opened the gate of the first ward. Prayer opened the iron gate. Prayer made the chains fall. Prayer put the light in the prison. Prayer got angels moving. All of that happened because the church was praying without ceasing. Everybody say, the doors all opened in the prison. Verse number 13, and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. Rhoda was a young person in the church at the prayer meeting where they were praying for Peter to be delivered. Peter's delivered out of jail, and now he's knocking on the door of the church. Rhoda, the young person knows it's God, knows it's Peter, knows it's revival, knows it's the answer, but she doesn't have the authority to open the door. They said, oh, you're crazy. It's, 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 you're, you're mad. You've lost your mind. It's not him. But she constantly affirmed, it's revival. It's Peter. I know it is. I know it's him. I know it's him. But the young person by herself didn't have the authority to open the door. Verse 16, Acts 12, 16, but Peter continued knocking. 
I'm not going to quit knocking till you open the door. Rhoda doesn't have the authority to open the door, and Peter doesn't have the authority to knock the door down. God could open the doors of the prison, but he couldn't open the doors of the church. Because he put the power of opening doors in the hands of his people. Concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. I won't do it till you tell me to. Put me in remembrance. Let's plead together. Remind me. Don't give me any rest. You keep telling me, Mama, don't you quit praying for your kids. You hear me? Don't you quit praying. Grandma, Grandpa, don't you quit praying. You young folks with with unsaved parents, don't stop praying. Don't give God rest. When you wake up in the morning, God, save my family. When you walk, when you're driving down the road, God, save my family. When you're walking from your car into the restaurant for lunch, God, save my family. When you're on your way home, when you're laying in bed, don't ever give God rest. I'm telling you, there's an invitation from God to this church tonight that if you'll listen to this word and you'll begin to take your level of prayer higher, God will certainly move. Revival is at the door knocking. But we as a congregation, not just young people, not just certain people, not just preachers, but a congregation together that prays for revival will absolutely turn our community upside down. Lift your hands. We've already had a powerful altar service tonight. We did church backwards. But I've come to tell somebody, you have an invitation from God to change your world. God says, give, give me no rest. Don't, ever, don't, don't give me a break. We were on this men's trip, and we were having a lot of fun. We were having a lot of fun fishing and laughing and cutting up and telling stories and eating good food. But we, have a, we had a man on that trip that I spent a lot of time with, rode in the boat with, sat by while we were eating, and about every 10 minutes, I'd hear him say, God, touch my family. God, touch my family. I'd be walking with somebody else in the church, somebody else on that trip, and we'd, be, we'd just be sitting talking, and then every few minutes, they'd say, oh, God, I need you. Oh, God, move. God, help us. That constant, that constant sending a prayer that it doesn't, it's not always, well, I got to get to the church and I got to lay down at my altar. I got, no, but there needs to be something that is constant inside. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Pray at all times in the spirit. Let God begin to make it a constant. I want you to lift your hands and I want you to say, God, help me. Help me, God, to remind you all the time. I want you to talk to him. I want you to say, God, I want to be a remembrancer for you. I want to be that alarm clock that goes off constantly, telling you it's time to move. It's time to move. God, I want you to take your hand right now. You told me, Lord, 
You told me through your word that concerning the work of your hands, command ye me. So God, I'm asking you as the pastor of this church, I'm asking you to put your hands on this congregation. That when we wake up, we have prayer on our mind. That when we go through our day, we have prayer on our mind. That when we lay down at night, there's prayer in our spirit. God, I want this church to never give you rest. I pray that at every moment of every day, there's somebody from this church that's looking to heaven saying, God, send revival. God, change somebody's destiny. God, turn somebody's life. Change their name from forsaken and desolate and let them understand the royalty that is inside of them. I'm asking you, church, I'm asking you, church, that as we head into this radical recovery revival, as we look into next month in our tent revival, that we will be constantly praying, God, give us souls. God, pour out your spirit. God, turn lives around. God, save our families. God, save our children. God, save our loved ones. Come on, can you do it? Do you have a little bit more in your tank right now? I just want you to know that God has invited you to not give him rest at any point. God, you're a life changer. Break the back of addiction in this area, Lord. God, break the back of addiction over this part of the country. God, I pray that you break the back of poverty over this area of North Mississippi. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would pour your blessings. I'm just telling I'm just trying to give an example of the things that we can remind. God, you said I'd be the head and not the tail. God, you said you'd bless me. You said you'd bless me rising up and going down. God, you promised me. You promised me that my prayers would not return void. God, I'm putting you in remembrance of everything. God, I dedicated my children to you when they were babies. God, I prayed over them when they were in their crib, and I refuse to give them up today. God, I have spoken your word over my son, over my daughter, and I refuse. I'm just putting you in remembrance, God. I'm not giving you rest because that's what you've invited me to do. Stand with me. I'm about to close. We're about to take up an offering. We're about to make an announcement or two. I'm going to go home and make a grilled cheese sandwich in the name of Jesus. I know I preached a while today. I know I preach a while every day. I just reset my timer so it don't matter. But I have had this sense all day long that for the people that get this word tonight that your life is never going to be the same again. Things are going to start falling in place and changing based on your response to the word of God. He said, I put a watchman on the wall and I told him, don't ever stop. Don't ever be quiet. Don't ever rest. And give him no rest. Until everything turns around, don't give him rest. Every promise that God has made to you, in the womb to be born and as soon as Zion travails she brought forth her children 
Lord, in the name of Jesus, let the spirit of prayer rest on this congregation. Help us to pray for our nation, for our communities, for our leaders, for our economy, for our world. Help us pray for revival and renewal. Help us to pray for fresh anointing. Help us to pray, oh God, for the outpouring of your spirit. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, God, to raise up an army of people who will pray without ceasing. Raise up an army of people in this church and for this community that will give you no rest day and night. God, send revival to our schools. Send revival, oh God, to our universities. God, send revival to our neighborhoods, in our city governments, in our county and state governments, in our national government. Send revival to the men and women in our armed forces. Send revival to our police force and sheriff's department. Send revival to our teachers and factory workers. You send revival, oh God, to every neighborhood and every town and every family. God, pour your blessing on these people. Pour your blessing on this church. Pour your blessing on these folks so that when the world looks at them, the world says, I want what they got. Help us, God. Lord, I know this is the weirdest prayer request you might have ever gotten, but help us to be the biggest pain in your neck that you've ever had. Help us, God, to never give you a moment off, to give you no rest. That's what he asked us to do, am I right? Give him no rest. Reach over, put your hand. This is how we're closing in just a minute. We're going we're to have an announcement, then we're going to have an offering. This is how we're going to close. I want you to reach over and I want you to pray for the people next to you. And I want you to ask that the spirit of prayer would get so deep in our hearts that we'd give him no rest. Concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. Put me in remembrance. He's invited us. He's invited us to a place in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for people who are receptive to the Spirit of the Lord and the Word of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for people who are open to the power of your Word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We've got some candidates here who are running for office. While you're praying, I want you to pray for them, that God's hand would be on them, that God's will be done. In the name of Jesus, God, it's in your hands. And I pray for every candidate. I ask you, God, to give them mercy and grace. And most of all, for your anointing to be on. God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to give your direction and your guidance. God, when we put when we put the decision in the affairs of man in the hands of man, we fail. But when we put the decisions in the affairs of man in your hands, we win. 
And so, God, we ask you, Lord, for your blessing. Now, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. The ushers are going to come. Brother Craig's going to make an announcement. Then he's going to dismiss you after you give. Praise the Lord. It's kind of hard to follow up behind a word like that, isn't it? And we appreciate you, brother. Appreciate your transparency. You've been a gift to so many of us so many times. We thank you for it so much. We have an opportunity to give back. We have an opportunity to be a gift to others. I want you all to really pay attention to what I'm fixing to say. This radical recovery revival that we have coming up, you all have a tremendous part in. I know you think, well, I'm not an addict or I'm not this, I'm not that, but you have a testimony. And the people that are going to be in this place need to know the testimonies of the people's faith, how faith has reacted to situations, normal situations in their life that have nothing to do with drugs, have nothing to do with alcohol. We're going to open up on Friday night with a cardboard testimony, and we need your help. We need your testimonies. We need to show the, the drug pandemic that's taken over our society, that's taken over our world, that you know what? You can live a free life. You can live a good life, and we do not have to bow to you. You can have normal struggles, and God still bring you through them. It does not have to be drugs to be on the bottom. Everyone goes through situations in their life. There's a testimonies standing all over this room. There's mamas, there's daddies that still have kids in addiction standing in this room. Let me tell you something. When you get about God's business, he's going to get about yours. You just heard what the pastor preached tonight. You just heard it. Ain't nobody got to reiterate it. There it is. It's just like the prophet Joel spoke. This is this is that. This church, we're hoping to have it packed out with people that are in addiction from treatment centers, rehabs. We already know we have three rehabs that's willing to come. That means a lot of people that are bound. They're bound. We have a lot of people that are coming that are in addiction that is just in the streets trying to find their way. Let me tell you something. I know people all over North Mississippi. I know people all over North Mississippi. They know about God because they read about him in jail. They need to see what God will really do. They need apostolic people to meet them right here on August the 18th, August the 19th, and August the 20th. So I want you to go home like Pastor V has asked. I want you to pray. And I want you to think about letting God use you. Sister Kim, step out here. I want you to think about letting God use your situation your testimony for this cardboard testimony. Sister Kim is going to be taking the information. You can get with her. If you're from, if, if, if you have a previous past, it's time to lay it on the altar. It's time to let it be known. It's time to use it. Please bring your transparency to this. Please help us help others. Amen? Can I get any help out of some of you? I know there's some elders out here that have a, have a, have a past. And it's okay that you have a past. But people like me, people like me that's five years back in the church need to know that 35 years from now, I can still come and still get the same presence of God that I'm feeling right now. I need to know that the fire is still there when I get 60 and 65. That's a testament in itself. Sister Bonnie Clifton came to be free. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to get out of the way. She came to be free and she gave us her testimony. Her thoughts was, I don't have a testimony like you all do. But guess what? She did. Because God kept her all of these years. 
He kept her all of these years, just like a lot of you. God has kept you. He's kept me through my trials, but he's also kept you through yours. I thank you, bringer, offering. Please see Sister Kim. We love you. Thank you, Pastor, for that word. Meet and greet in the discipleship room for any guest. 